Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Hi, I'm Linda Regano, co-host of the WAM Podcast. I love doing this podcast because listeners get to hear candid conversations with female leaders. You're going to hear their stories, personal and professional challenges that they've overcome, and how they're giving back to their communities, and in many cases, the world. We hope that you'll find their stories to be as inspirational as we do. And speaking of inspirational, today I'm delighted to be talking to Kristen Graham. Kristen is president of Giving Strong, a social impact consulting firm. Kristen counsels companies on a variety of strategies to deploy their resources, whether it's in the area of corporate social responsibility, community relations, philanthropy, and even reputation management. So let's get started. Kristen, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Linda. Thanks so much for inviting me. Well, I am delighted that you're here. In true disclosure, Kristen is a a friend and former colleague and I'm eager to hear, and I'm sure our listeners are eager to hear, just if you could tell us a little bit more about yourself. Why don't we start there? Absolutely. Well, again, thank you so much for including me in your podcast. I thought about this, you know, I've always been an advocate for women, especially in business and including in manufacturing. Maybe that's because I'm a graduate of an all-girls high school, so I never felt really that competition, or I never felt like, well, why couldn't I do whatever I wanted? And so I really hope that other women listening feel empowered and will model other successful women who are doing that. When I got out of college, I began a career as a journalist, as a reporter, and learned a lot about accountability, especially when I was a reporter covering Boston's state house and the political machinations that happened there. And then I transitioned to a public relations position. I was working at Tufts University and managed the public relations for the entire undergraduate school. And that was a really eye-opening experience with the responsibility now you have for these students. It happened to be also my alma mater, but working with them to recognize the institutional obligation to protecting the people who really make up the institution, the students paramount. And then from that, I was a public relations executive, which is how I uh, got to work with you through a Massachusetts boutique firm called Warner Communications. And that's when I really got to work closely with CEOs and leaders of business and help them think about not only their reputations, but what were they actually doing to merit wonderful reputation and to tell their stories. And all of that ultimately accrued to me saying, you know, there's a business here and that's consulting other companies on how they can be the best that they can be and make really significant social impact. Okay. And so that's what made you uh, consider doing Giving Strong? Yeah. So the idea for Giving Strong really came from recognizing some trends in the marketplace. During that time, one of the clients that I worked with is a convenience store chain called Cumberland Farms. And actually, that was a woman-led company as well at the time. So they had a woman at the helm and really successful convenience store company across the Northeast. And, you know, they were really very generous and very philanthropic. I mean, they would write hundreds of thousands of dollars to charity. But at the end of the year, they'd have to look at the books and say, what did this accrue to? You know, how can you connect the dots between like a 4th of July picnic in Plymouth, Massachusetts? And how does that relate to the 
Schenectady, New York Children's Museum or, a, or an animal shelter. So my thinking then, and it continues to be, if you took all those dollars and applied that to a single issue, you know, how much meaning can you actually have and how can you move the needle? Maybe not just for a single nonprofit. How can you bring change to scale and help more people? So that was really part of um, one inspiration for doing that, for starting this. That's fabulous. Yeah, no, that's fabulous because so many, it, it usually, you know, philanthropy would be up to the owner and their own personal charity. And I love the idea that you're bringing it back to the, the business. And maybe you could talk a little bit about how businesses at the end of the day, they still have to account, you know, for their revenue. How do they tie that together so that philanthropy can actually be, you know, part of their, their business and, and ultimately help them in revenue? That's true. And I do want to note that corporate philanthropy is just one of many pieces that make up corporate social responsibility. So maybe before I even address the philanthropy part, just to talk about what are the elements overall of CSR, right? That would be great. Right. When any business owner, manufacturer or otherwise, who are your stakeholders? And you can start no matter what size you are. If you're a small business or you are a global business, take a look internally first. How do you work with your employees? What kind of workplace do you have? And that's an important part of your responsibility as a business. Things that increasingly companies are starting to consider are diversity, equity, and inclusion in leadership. So for listeners who are women, where do you sit at the table? If you're a leader in business and in manufacturing, are you the only woman in the executive suite or are there others with you? What kind of programs are there to encourage gender diversity, racial diversity, and have a lot of voices who are heard in the running of the organization? So I think that's really important, Linda. So when you think about just the small percentage of female leaders that are out there, would you say that, and this might be a leap, but would you say that female leaders tend to be more conscious about social responsibility than their male counterparts? I would say that when you look at some of the data that's out there, which is mostly with publicly traded companies, less so with the smaller private companies, um, you do see numbers show that women-led organizations are more philanthropic. Women-led organizations are more environmentally mindful. And I think it's just because we have a different lens that we bring to all of our decision-making. And that means a diversity in opinions, a diversity in perspectives. And that's what's really valuable. Hmm. So how does that play out when you think about the, the current crises that are going on? And I know you wanted to just share a little bit um, of your view about it, but, you know, thinking about what's going on with Boeing and all these other companies that, you know, are facing their own crisis. Right. I mean, the Boeing crisis just keeps getting worse every day, I'm afraid, and it's human lives are lost because of a safety feature. And the investigation is still outstanding, so we don't know what really happened, and that investigation is still under underway. But what it does bring to the fore, Linda, is the question of what is Boeing's responsibility to the public at large? What is Boeing's responsibility to the people that work for them? And how are they going to manage uh, through this crisis? And the, the first rule of crisis management is, first of all, stop the problem, which it mm -hmm. seems that happened, <laughs> thankfully. Right. Um, and then conduct your investigation and limit it. Um, that's not the only crisis in manufacturing that's happening in Houston, we've been watching this petrochemical plant fire really last for days. And now that the fire's out, people who live there are 
being asked to shelter in place because of the pollution, the toxicity that's in the air there. And so even if these companies, and we know Boeing has been so philanthropic and so generous in the community, will that give them any, we say, capital, any social capital when they're working through their problem? And a lot of people do believe that if you are generous in the community, if you're generous with your stakeholders, then that will uh, give you a sort of benefit of the doubt when something bad happens and help you to rebuild your reputation from a difficult place. So right now they're facing with managing it. And you have another manufacturer, auto manufacturer, Volkswagen, and they actually have been found to being deliberate and not telling the truth. They were lying about the emissions from their vehicles. And so when something like that happens, you know, that's just basically surrendering and not having any corporate social responsibility. And that takes a lot of work to I think really rebuild the organization and rebuild the company. And so it was really interesting to hear the CEO of Siemens talk about global manufacturer. He was on CNBC. And one of the things that he was talking about is that there's been a shift that he's recognizing. And that one of the quotes that he said is that the lesson for his conglomerates of manufacturers is that more than synergy, which was more of like a 90s idea for the success of business, he said it's the adaptability of corporate cultures that matters more than anything else. And I see we're seeing that happen. Maybe it's a generational shift as millennials are coming into the workplace. Maybe it's a globalization consequence. The internet is bringing us all together. But no matter what your size, it's this concept of corporate culture, Linda, that is overwhelmingly driving the idea of corporate social responsibility. So maybe you could share some more examples then with our listeners. You're working currently with a, a company, Woodard, the Woodard and Curran Foundation. Can you tell us about that? Yep. Woodard and Curran Foundation is a national engineering firm. They, through their employees, decided a little more than five years ago that they wanted to start, they wanted to give back to the community. What could they do that would be meaningful as part of employee engagement as well as to the causes that they care for? So they started a foundation. And what they found is by not really having a clear strategy for how their foundation would work, um, after five years of organically growing and responding to all kinds of requests for donations, they didn't really stand for anything. They were struggling. And so one of the first exercises that we did with them is to actually help them articulate their purpose because they can't be all things to all people. And I think that's something that a lot of companies, whether you're a manufacturer or engineering firm or a law firm for that matter, when you decide that you actually want to embark on this journey, you have to think, well, what do we stand for? Ideas like climate, ideas like education are super, but they're really too big to wrap your arms around. What is it we to work with them to say, what could we do where you could actually affect change, where you think your donations will be meaningful? And we decided to come with a program that would be combining cash donations, making grants with opportunities for their talent, their employees to contribute pro bono, to contribute as volunteers in the community. And one of the things we also decided, which harkens back to what I was talking about earlier with Cumberland Farms, what if you put your funds and your capital all to one issue as opposed to spreading it around? And that's what we did with the Woodard and Curran Foundation. And they actually created grant, $100,000 grant that they could make. And that 
really would be more impactful than writing, you know, 50 grants that were small and they could really move the needle on an issue. So their impact grants are $100,000 over three years. And they're all about projects that promote really a better environment, a sustainable environment. That was really exciting. That does sound exciting. And it also, I mean, it's smart on their part because it ties back directly to their business because they're in engineering, right? They're engineers. And I think that's what, you know, we're also trying to do is they're working to, you know, build a more sustainable world. So too is their philanthropy. So right now they're giving uh, their latest impact grant recipient is a charity in Massachusetts called Change is Simple. And what they're going to do is they're investing in the next generation by creating this mobile uh, learning lab, a mobile sustainability and climate learning lab. And it's going to go on the road and visit schools all throughout Massachusetts, like the greater Boston area, particularly in uh, low income places and teach kids about climate change and teach kids science tools. And a lot of people working in manufacturing get excited about STEM. And so you can see that this initiative really does get to scale. They're really able to make a grant with the kind of timeline that is effective for the nonprofit to actually see success, to actually build a program, give it the time to nurture and to really touch as many pieces as people as possible. And in this case, it's young people who ideally will be seeding with ideas for their own career development. Oh, I love that. That is fabulous. So is, and I want to add at the same time, you know, this is also part of a student, uh, not student, I apologize, uh, an employee giving effort. So every year employees are offered the, they're asked, would you like to contribute from your paycheck? And so that helps to also, in addition to corporate money that goes into their foundation, employees have that option as well. If they believe they can, they can contribute as well. Now this stemmed from the leadership, right? I mean, this was the president saying, I want to do something and we're going to do it. Believe it or not, it came from a group of employees in the executive level, and they appealed to the president several years ago, and they said, we feel like we are so fortunate, and we want to do something to give back. And when they started, it was an employee-led board of uh, directors for the foundation, and they asked for the different offices around the country to come up with ideas to help fund it. So one office had a casino night. One office had a golf tournament and so on um, so that they could help to raise funds for this and match what the corporate parent was putting into it. And one of the things that we find is it can be tricky when you have that kind of your employees because, you know, first you have to consider, is it optional? I mean, it's not a mandate to go to work and do your job as an engineer or as a podcast producer, as the case may be, <laughs> right? And then also then be asked to do this other volunteer work. And when we did our examination of how things had rolled out over five years, it became really a burden for a lot of employees. It took a lot of time and it took time away from their work day so that they were doing the volunteer work. So one of the solutions we had to create for them is how to provide some relief, how to provide a way for the employees to say, you know, this isn't working and to find a safe path for them to do that so that leadership would support them. And so we worked on that as well. And I think also what helped was were getting in grants from all over the country and it became unmanageable, unwieldy. The greater that the awareness of the foundation became, the more grant applications that staff was asked 
to read. Mm. Uh, and that was very time consuming. And that also helped to us to inform, let's have this big grant and that will eliminate a lot of that other time burden. Right. And, and also make more of an impact, you know, as opposed to exactly. more. Well, that yeah. was the ultimate goal. How can yeah. you really reach scale with your social impact? Now, you talk about, I mean, it, it really takes a village within the company to make that kind of thing happen. We're starting to see positions with names like director of social consciousness on staff. Can you talk right. a little bit about that? I know seventh generation was an example. You know, the real nirvana for corporate social responsibility gets to what the CEO of Siemens was talking about. Corporate culture. How does this become a part and parcel of your corporate culture as opposed to an initiative from any department? And that is happening more and more. And so many years ago, one of the influences I had was seventh generation before it was acquired by Unilever. And they had a person on staff called with the title director of social consciousness, Gregor Barnum, who has just passed away. And he had the role to filter all of the different operational things that were happening at the company through their lens of their definition of what is social consciousness, what is their social responsibility internally, externally, their contract manufacturer. They were among the first to actually write a uh, corporate social responsibility report uh, about 15 years ago. And what is interesting is Gregor always gave credit to the job title to someone else. He did not come up with that job title. Rather, it is a woman at the clothing designer, Eileen Fisher, that has the title. Her name is Amy Hall, and she's really the first director of social consciousness. And if you look at Amy, if you look at the Eileen Fisher clothing company, they are making pledges, their 2020 pledge. How are they sourcing the material that they use to make their clothing for women? How are they sourcing the dyes that they use to make the clothing? And all throughout the organization, that's what they're thinking about. Another woman-led organization, I might add. And just something else I wanted to talk about, Linda, because when we started talking about the element of CSR, we really just talked about internally, how do you work with employees and the concept of diversity, equity, and inclusion. I also wanted to mention that I'm a co-founder of an organization in Maine that emerged from the Me Too movement, and we're asking companies to sign a pledge and establish policies to assure a safe and respectful workplace. I just want to acknowledge women in the workplace, and in particular in manufacturing, a traditionally men's industry. I know that sexual harassment is an issue. And so when we talk about CSR, that includes how can you be sure that the women who work in your organization, and you, how can you be sure your employees feel safe? And how is the company proving that it's taking that issue seriously? Right. But I didn't want to have the conversation without mentioning that. No, thank you. Thank you. No, I think that's really important. Let's, Kristen, let's talk a little bit about the, the process. I mean, we've been talking about companies like Boeing and um, Volkswagen and Woodard and Kern, which is on the larger side in seventh generation. What about companies? Who's an ideal candidate for you? I mean, is it the size of the company? Because, you know, some companies will say, oh, you know, yeah, if I had Boeing's revenues, I would definitely consider doing that. <laughs> well, you know, every business is an ideal candidate because every business has the opportunity to have a purpose and to be responsible to all of its stakeholders. And so I don't really think there's a limit in that. And in terms of industry, as long as you are having a transaction, then you're having a conversation. And that means there's a responsible way to do that, a way to be respectful. And if you are sourcing materials um, or you are a provider um, to another company, then you have to consider 
well, what is the consequence of that action? For instance, you know, there's something called the California Supply Chain Transparency Act. If you are sourcing materials or supplying to businesses that operate in California, can you affirm that there's no human trafficking or slave labor in your process? Even smaller companies consider the environment. Are you disposing of your waste appropriately? In manufacturing, we have a lot of uh, different waste management considerations. Some of that's regulated. So are we following the rules? Some of it's not. And also in manufacturing, whether you have one employee, 60 employees or 60,000 employees, can't believe I waited this long to say safety. Safety is paramount in the manufacturing world. And so that is for sure a corporate responsibility to your people. So how do you work? (laughs) There's no limit on the size. There's no too big or no too small when it comes to that. But I think furthermore, Having leadership that agrees that this is important exactly. is what imbue through your corporate culture. Yeah. No, you've, you've got to have that. Yeah. But I love the idea that yeah. it was, you know, this, it, this team that came to the, to the leadership and said, we want to do this. And you know what the management guru, uh, David Drucker said, right? He said, what gets measured gets done. And one of the language, one of the, you know, buzzwords that's happening in this space right now is intentionality. And I actually think intentionality is the same thing as what Drucker said, right? Be intentional. So put this in your work plans, build policies, review your policies, engage your workforce. And all of that will ultimately mean you're measuring it and you'll be getting it done. And that's, I think, a way to start on the journey to being responsible. And I think we might also start to see this, you know, melded with the whole, you know, marketing end of the business where it's about the brand. And you can see where if you're, if you're doing the right thing and you're making, you know, you're making an impact, then God forbid something does happen. You do get that, what you said earlier, the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. You know, back when I was still learning about this and having my own realizations and working with Cumberland Farms, one of the things we did was something called cause marketing. So very simply, cause marketing is I'll donate a portion of my sales to a charity. And at that time we uh, donated, we had programs, cups for kids. So a portion of the sales of coffee went to pediatric hospitals. At that time, I was working with the Cause Marketing Forum, which is now rebranded as Engage for Good, Hmm. helping them to companies with charities. Have you heard of them? I have. They're great. And David Hesekiel is uh, the founder. And I was so honored to be invited along with David by the South Korean government to present at a corporate social responsibility conference, the Nanum Conference, which is the Korean word for sharing. Uh-huh. So I went to Seoul, uh, South Korea. It was so thrilling, Linda, back in 2013. And I was at lunch and I was sitting next to an executive from Samsung here in their home city. And he asked, how do we get people to believe us? How do we get the public to believe that the CSR is authentic? And of course, the answer then is the answer that it always is. It's really in the demonstration of it that you're actually living it. And if people can see that you're living it, then they'll trust that it's it's authentic. Right. Well, actions speak louder than words. That's right. Wow. That That is terrific. But, so I guess, you know, one of the things that I, I like to ask all my guests is if you could pick one influencer, somebody who's had the biggest influence in your life, in your professional life, and, you know, particularly in this area, who, who would that be? 
Well, I guess there'd be two people because my dad was a really big influence in my life. He was an ad man, a madman. Ah. Um, he brought me to, you know, the office in New York all through high school and let me see that I could have a seat at the table as a woman in, I think, a really male dominated time. So I think that was important. And then I think there's so many influences right now in CSR, corporate social responsibility, but we talked about seventh generation. And just to see that a business could operate that way with a social conscience, that really moved me and was definitely an inspiration for starting the company. Well, yeah, no, I can see why. I can see why. So, you know, we're, we're coming in on the close here and I just want to, are there any last thoughts or maybe some advice for our listeners out there who may be thinking about their own company or, or personally, how could they make a social impact? What advice would you give them? I think the first place to start, Linda, is to recognize that you probably already are making an impact and maybe you just don't realize it. So take the time to do a review and audit yourself. Start with something easy. So manufacturers, we talked about it. Start with safety and make the list. What's important? What's important to you internally among your employees? What's important environmentally? And what's important, sourcing materials, et cetera. What's specific to your business and your organization? I think once you make that list and make a benchmark, you'd be surprised. I think you'll see that you really are already making an impact. And then just use that as a benchmark to think more broadly, think out of the box and to, to do more because there's always more to do. That's excellent. Excellent advice. Thank you. All right. I wish we could, uh, we had more time here because there are more examples. This has been wonderful. And, and uh, thank you for your excellent insights. I think this is something. Thank you, Linda. Yeah, thank you. So for our listeners out there, we are at the end of the show, but I want to give a special thanks to Kristen, Kristen Graham, who is president of Giving Strong. And you can find out more about uh, Kristen and her work or contacting her for your organization at givingstrong.com, givingstrong.com. This show will also be archived at the WAM podcast, so you can listen at your leisure. And thanks again to all of our listeners. For the lineup, we've got uh, lots more amazing women like Kristen who'll be speaking with us. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you for joining the WAM podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.